Welcome to the Regeneration Podcast, brothers and sisters. And I'm I'm a little stoked today because because we're talking to uh, Olivia Cheney, whom I just discovered a few weeks ago. So I'll tell you the story. And Mike, you know I like stories. I do. So I like your liking of stories, and I like well, your you, stories. Well, you know, Mike, Mike, you know, and I think people who read my Substack or my blog, they know. I'm I'm a huge fan of English folk rock. Huge. Nobody huge. bigger. Nobody bigger. When I, was a kid, I mean, I, when I was a kid, I mean, it started with American folk music that my mom used to listen to. But then when I became a teenager, I think what happened, two things. Rod Stewart and his early albums, like uh, when, when, he, when the song Maggie May came on the radio, which is like changed my life, <laughs> which is the first thing I did is I tried to find somebody who had a mandolin and I found a girl. Who I dated for a little while, and she had a mandolin, and she told me taught me a couple of chords. Did you date her for her mandolin? Um, no. Yes. Okay. No. Well, Actually, I not... dated her because she taught me the man. She, okay. I was dating a friend, <laughs> and then she, she's, we were hanging out together as teenagers do, and she said, she said, oh, I have a mandolin. I said, wow, that's cool. I always wanted one. Yeah. She that's taught cool. me to play a couple of chords, and within a couple of minutes, I was playing Ma- Maggie May. So. But that goes back and then Fairport Convention and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I was I posted something on social media, which uh, was a, a video of. Right. Not really. It was a YouTube video, so it wasn't actually a film of Sandy Denny. From Fairport Convention doing. uh who knows where the time goes? This is an extraordinarily beautiful song. And I hate her because she wrote it when she was about 20. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't do that when I was 20. And right after, so someone who was following me posted a couple of videos. Did you ever hear of this person? And it was Olivia Cheney. Oh. And I said, no, I hadn't heard. And it was actually. This was how long ago, Michael? Just three weeks ago. Wow. It was, uh, Olivia, it was your video of Solitude. I think filmed at your, oh. your place in yorkshire right which yeah. is beautiful and it blew me away and the other the other video he linked was and we'll talk about all the stuff as we go through was the offer rex uh video of this beautiful hymn uh the old churchyard yeah. and both of them i listened but i listened to them 20 times and i started I, then i you know i go to go to spotify and i'm like Where's Olivia Cheney? And I'm so I've listened to your entire catalog, at least it's available on Spotify. Aww. Or pretty much constantly for the last few weeks, just trying to, Aww. you know, because you know how it is when you're a musician, and I'm a musician, and you find something that you really like, and you don't just listen to it, you study it, which is what I've been studying your work. Aww. And especially now. You probably know more about it than I do at the moment because I feel like <laughs> I slightly lost that uh, I, I feel like I've lost that ability to I think partly because I've got tiny kids and also just something about the kind of uh, like journey I've had as a musician it's just meant that into my 30s I was just like I mean I was a jobbing musician in London in my 20s as well but like I somehow had more time and I could afford to be poorer and just like spend time yeah. listening. And I, I feel like I don't, I don't make, or I don't have the time to kind of go that quite that deep anymore. So I, I, I envy you, but not envy you going into my back catalog, but, um, 
but uh, well, it was, it, and I do this very often because this is so, this is something I would do when I was younger. Yeah, I've done it very often, but I did it. I wanted to do it for this because oh, what I thought gosh. when I discovered your music is I, I, I think you have something, um, so beautiful and so unique, and it's very special. Very special. I mean, and and I really wanted to figure it out. You know, it's like I mean, I'm, I'm an English professor, and I always tell students, I said, you know, the thing with me when I write books or essays or whatever, it's not because I want to write books or essays. It's because I want to figure it out. <laughs> I want to figure out George Herbert or who, who John Donne. <laughs> actually, who, you have a you quote John Donne in one of your songs in the new album. Yeah, in and, a kind of cheesy way, <laughs> and I, but I, yeah. But let's back a little bit, and Olivia, why don't you share with with Mike and myself, and but also with our audience, um, your journey as a musician. I mean, I mean, it's a weird thing. I know from experiences. How do you become a musician? Or and even more important, I think, you know, the thing that I was always interested in, even more than being a really good musician was being a, a songwriter. So how did you, how did that journey happen for you, at least initially? Well, very circuitous, <laughs> and it's still going on because I I although I think I think I do finally now feel like a on some level qualified, whatever that means. But I I, I do call myself a songwriter now, but I'm still by no means prolific. Um, which sometimes frustrates me and I can kind of feel a bit inadequate around other people who are like writing a song a day and, you know, and kind of have have a, a kind of um, not just a work ethic, but a, like a, a capacity to approach their work like you hear about poets like Auden or something who kind of got up at the same time every day and like would you know work mm -hmm. and then have a sherry or whatever and then go to the beach or it's just like I'm not that kind of person and it, it's much more chaotic and um organic and um uh but then you know it's it's not that I don't stick at things and have my own kind of rigor but it's uh, I don't I don't think I work well with that kind of regimented approach I guess it doesn't seem to reap the rewards I'm I'm looking for um so anyway um so yeah, it's taken a, a very long time to feel like I can call myself a songwriter. Um, and I still kind of, I'm almost working backwards with your question because I sometimes shirk against being called or feeling like I'm being a bit pigeonholed as a folk singer. And that's not because I don't um, profoundly love traditional music from all over the world, not not just the British Isles by any means. Um, I've spent a lot of time listening to kind of, yeah, indigenous music and from cultures everywhere really and studying mm. it. Um, uh, but it's more because I feel like I kind of made a bit of a transition into being a songwriter and in, in my culture or, or, you know, in the kind of, worlds I know musically if you get called a folk singer that kind of implies that you don't write your own stuff mm. so that's oh. like been a funny it's like a funny thing in my head and maybe I just need to get oh. over it but interesting I mean you, that you're, you're playing the standards mostly that you're playing the standards or that you you yeah. go into okay not being a musician I wondered yeah well but, you but, see it depends though because like if you're like 
the Laura Marling, like, you know, when when that kind of scene of kids came up, like Marcus Mumford and Laura Marling and Johnny mm -hmm. Finn and all those guys, when they came up, they were called folk. But they're like really diehard, real folk who play traditional music, like right. Eliza Carthy and like the Shirley Collins and like all, you know, that that was like a funny thing because all the real folkies were kind of saying they're not folk and mm -hmm. so I don't know I don't know where I guess I feel like I fall in between all those camps and and then also to really mm -hmm. answer the beginning you know answer your question properly and go from the beginning is that um you know my my kind of studying and love of of a lot of classical music w was actually a, a huge um bedrock of of mm -hmm. what I do but but still, actually, my if you look at it more Freudianly, my really early introduction to music was the whole range and was very deeply Joni Mitchell and mm -hmm. Bob Dylan and actually a lot of the American sixties, you know, folk songwriters. Um, and for our listeners to say, you know, to buy Olivia's albums to support her, you know, for a non a non musician right away. But I mean this in the best sense because. Uh, the way you would hover around certain words that carried kind of the weight of a sentence. Also, you invoke Freud in some of your lyrics, which uh, you just brought up Freud. thought that was great. Yeah. But there was an Emmy Lou Harris quality to the way you kind of dwell on certain words way up there. Oh. And of course, Joni Mitchell, you know, there's a little bit of Judy Collins. But again, when you bring, uh, yeah, again, genre defying, even for us. But I think, Michael, what she's saying about folk music, would that be different in the States or no? You know, Yeah, I think it is a little different in the States yeah. because- um, yeah, a little bit because we in wouldn't pigeonhole you. Don't like have that. the weight of the traditionalists, you know, the yeah. tradies, right? And so, but it, yeah. but you also see it in. I mean, that was what's wonderful about Fairport Convention and even the Water Boys, right? Where they would draw on, and I says, this is what I, I I wouldn't place you necessarily here, but what I liked about all that stuff for, as as a kid because it wasn't only a kind of traditionalist or old school, you know, uh, revitalization of a tradition, but actually trying to add something to it, which is what I see you doing, you know? That, I mean, it's interesting you saying, cause you saying that of you as Americans, not quite recognizing this like almost divide that perhaps is more in my head than anyone else's, but like, I, I think, no, it, that there is, there are these kind of different categorizations and slight issues with, with the categories in, in my culture. And actually, I came up against the American like non-recognition of that when I worked with the Decemberists and did the Offer X record. Mm -hmm. I was always going like, oh, I don't know if we can do this and kind of seemingly being a bit precious about stuff because I know all of the really hardcore folkies. I, I know, you know, I knew Norma Watson. I know Eliza Carthy. I've worked with her. I know Martin. I know Shirley Collins. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt really like almost responsible and kind of a bit judged by them if I wasn't doing the right stuff with the trad material and all you know all the Decemberist guys were just like like kind of what, oh, wow. what you're going about you know um yeah and then I you know I guess I know like the generation of the Chris Thiele and the Aoife O'Donovan and all those kind of people and I guess yeah I feel quite akin to them because they do a whole mix and they write their own material they sing trad stuff they kind of get called folkies, but they kind of sit in the singer-songwriter world as well. So, yeah. I mean, I guess part of what makes it confusing maybe for, for people with me is this right. the classical stuff as well and the Purcell. 
Um, so, and I, I really, I'm, I'm really hoping that um, possibly my next record, depending how things go, will be a kind of mainly Purcell, but like Baroque reworkings thing. I, I really want to focus that into an album. I've got lots of ideas for that. So, um, yeah, keep people guessing. Well, on myself. And I think, uh, you know, you mentioned that kind of tension between innovation and tradition, right? Which I I mean, Bob Dylan, right? Classic Bob Dylan went through that, right? Where he decided to, to bring electric guitars to the Newport Folk Festival and people and all, all the old folkies are, who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, but, uh, but that's how, I mean, you know, it's what I love about it. And I, I you know, professor of English literature, early, early modern medieval right. literature is, uh, there, and this is what I, you know, what what really uh, excites me about these kind of romantic traditions is, I like the idea of having a foot. Well, what I like about this kind of music is it's it's of the people, right? It's it's organic. It organically grows out of a situation, and and it includes. Uh, <clears throat> poetry and, and actually you know, like the lyrics I and mean, I think like that's what one of, one of the songs on the Alpha Rex album which one Willie Willie Winston right oh that song you see that that's a perfect example that was almost there were a few songs on that record where um I I was really terrified of doing a version of that song and now I'm I, I'm Proud is not the right word, but I'm I'm fond of that recording. I, I feel like I kind of I came proud. up with that arrangement. I came yeah. up with that arrangement at like you know one in the morning in my Airbnb in Portland, Oregon, when I was already meant to have all the arrangements ready, mm. and I was a bit like, what am I going to do with this one? And it, it's one of my favorite folk songs ever. And Anne Briggs's rendition is is you know I think one of the kind of great recordings. Yeah. Um, I'm a massive. I grew up on Bert Jansch. My dad used to play me all the Bert Jansch songs, and that's kind of partly why I decided to teach myself guitar after I'd graduated from music college. And so it just had a lot of weight for me to kind of come and do my own version of this like iconic song and these iconic versions of the songs. Um. And again, Colin Malloy was just like, like, just like, what's your problem? You know, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have all this like English baggage kind of attached attached to it. But in terms of the yeah, the the balladry, the the text, it's it's in some ways it feels so of its time, and then it also yeah. has this total universality well, about it, which all the great trad songs do, even the more surrealistic ones. Um, Obviously, that one has a very clear kind of narrative arc and and a, a kind of almost um, not not proto transgender, but like you know that extraordinary like climactic yeah. line when the king says, "If I were a man, I would you know I if I were a woman as I am a man, my bedfellow he should have been." It's just like wow. Mm. For me, that just kind of makes me realize that we make too much of a fuss about sexuality and gender and stuff now because like people have been. Mm -hmm. you know talking about that kind of thing for so long it's like anyway um yeah incredible incredible song um and the way we captured that was really magical Tucker Martin kind of did like um 
you know carter family style had us around a really old mic um what nice. they called those lovely old ribbon mics and rca or something i can't remember what they're called okay. yeah. i know you're talking and, about um yeah we literally just like just it was like me and the bass player and colin on nylon string and we just it was like one take and we just kind of stood around the mic in a room that was really special beautiful yeah beautiful. now so I, I, I'll just drop it now because we're talking about it. now the one thing I was thinking about when considering your your work and I mean you've done a lot of cool things right in such a short period of time I mean you, you did but but that must seem when you did the Off of Rex album which was 2017 right maybe you recorded in 2016 I don't know when you recorded it but no, I, I yeah. think I think we recorded it in 2017 I remember first going over <laughs> I think I went over to Portland in 2016 to kind of begin seeing if the project had legs. Colin suggested it after I did a support tour and I, I was a bit reticent about it, but my then record label were like, you got to do it. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not going to do it unless it's got some like artistic integrity. And I kind of, you know, pissed everyone off a bit by not being quite sure. And then we went over and I, I think we did record it in 2017, but yeah. But um, whatever the case, and that was also, was that the same year you did, uh, you, you guested on the the Kronos Quartet album? That that album we did record a bit earlier. Um, okay. But it came out in 2017. It came out in 2017, yeah. Yeah, it was a big, big year of, of, of releases and really exciting collaborations for sure, yeah. And then COVID hit. Right. Well, yeah, but that, but those well, yeah. two projects sped me into doing my second record, which was the Yorkshire Yorkshire album. So thank God I cracked cracked on with that before. Mm -hmm. Then I left London with a kind of you know bit of a trail of wreckage behind me. Moved yeah. moved in here, which was was a building site. Um, and, and that second album is Shelter. That right. Shelter, yeah, yeah. And that, and then COVID hit, and COVID hit. COVID, that was it. So I was pregnant with my first child, and um, I did. I'd fired my second manager, and I was not happy with it, the way anything was going for me in the music industry. And and I had left London, and Thomas Bartlett who I made my second record with was like, we've got to make another record together. We've kind of got like unfinished business artistically, like, you know, I love making the second record with you, but we both know that there's more that we kind of want to say on, on another record together. Um, had my tickets booked to New York, was pregnant, was going to make the record in my like third trimester and fly back just before I, you know, you're legally not allowed to fly when you're pregnant anymore, all of that stuff. And I remember Trump like banning flights a week right. before I was meant to fly out. And I just played my, I just said to an audience in London and played a show in March, kind of saying, you know, I won't see you guys for a while. I'm actually having a baby because I kind of wasn't showing, but I'm making a new record in New York. And, and then I, you know, things changed with my record label. And then it feels like in a way two years went by really before I could get back out to America now back to doing everything myself. I'm self-releasing. Yeah. So, um, so this new album, you produced it and did everything yourself? Well, no, I went back out to New York, but I just had okay. to do it like when I could get back to New York. Okay. Yeah, so it 
kind of it took me two years for yeah for whatever reason and the new album is called circus of desire, desire. Right? yeah mm -hmm. yeah so that is also with thomas bartlett producing okay. but self-releasing and um yeah and just feels very very different in 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 many respects but partly because i kind of feel a bit free of like a lot of industry stuff what was that sorry well that's why i left I, when i left the music industry it's you know and i was in you know i was in the more rock and roll side of things in my 20s and, was, and i was like wow this is disgusting <laughs> you know because i was an idealistic kid you know we're gonna make ha people happy and spread joy and then i was like it was basically the me too me too movement with boys right it was disgusting yeah so, oh you wouldn't believe it you would not believe it right um i don't want we won't talk about this because it makes me too sad but uh but it was you know um, but it was a blessing too because then i realized what's really important and i think you know maybe this is you know if i when i was thinking about talking to you today i was thinking well you know what when i was a kid i probably would have fallen in with a more folk oriented or acoustic oriented um kind of musical community but it didn't exist in detroit where i grew up at least i didn't know where it was so i no. kind of fell into you know so I, I went down. Well, that's the funny thing, though, because I don't really feel. You see, even there, I like. I it's like I have an instinct to correct you because I didn't really. Besides my dad's record collection, which consisted of like Bert Yanch and Ambrose and Sunny Denny, and then all the Americans mm -hmm. and Canadians. Many of my favorites are actually the Canadian songwriters, but um, I didn't. I didn't grow up with folkies. I mean, if anything, I grew up more in like classical kind of music scene and doing like piano competitions and stuff like that. And then I like totally dropped out and rebelled. And then I mm -hmm. went to a hot house. Then I went to a conservatoire and actually studied jazz at conservatoire, but like didn't really study it and just did my own thing and got more creative. And by the time I left, I was just like, I'm just desperate to like write my yeah. own music and just do my own mm -hmm. thing. I'm sick of being told what to do. And right. but I love all these different styles of music, but I kind of want to find my own voice. And then that plus, um, you know, like like any kind of artist, you're affected um by the economics of like your life. Mm -hmm. So for better or worse it meant that I was always doing all these like bonkers different projects because I could and I was kind of seen as versatile I guess and so I was always mm -hmm. being asked to like hey we're gonna choreograph for you and do this like bonkers like free improv vocal thing with extended voice mm -hmm. technique and now we're gonna do some like palestrina in a church and now we want you to do a folk song with a you know it was just like mm -hmm. Yeah. And but then suddenly that meant that a lot of time went by and I felt like I'm still actually not really doing my own thing. Um, it actually took me singing with like a kind of electronica, like massive pop band at the time and like being their lead singer for a while and touring and just being like, I'm still frustrated. I still feel like I'm not writing my own song. So that, that's why when you're like, oh, you've made so much great stuff. It's like, it's nice to hear that because I feel like I came to it quite late in a funny kind of way. Now, this might be a good time to pause and go over your discography for those of our, those those of our audience who don't know. Um, now, tell me about it. this one. Pardon me? 
it's not very big <laughs> oh it's, it's but it's cool and but the, here's the i get this weird question so the earliest thing i could find that was released with you on it was in 2014 a, a song with emily hall is that right is that you yeah so that's she's a composer right yeah and um and she she would kind of she's she's got a cool way of working because she's quite like I don't think she would I think she would take this as a compliment she's kind of like a pop folk composer in a way like she's you know yeah. very tonal and um she can be quite experimental but it's like I feel like she is driven by being accessible she's not a kind of post second BNE school type composer. Um, and I met her in a really wonderful place that if you guys don't know, you should um, check out called, um, well, it's the Britain Piers Foundation where Benjamin Britten and Peter Pierce set up a festival. Okay. It's in Alborough on the east Southeast coast. And I just, when I graduated from college and was feeling like, ah, like I need my own voice. I went, I kind of got a funding to go on this course and some of the musicians I met there, including her, and my long, long time collaborator, Jordan Hunt, a violinist and multi-instrumentalist yeah. and songwriter and stuff, we all met there. Um, and in fact, she went on and like married the tutor. And so it was just like a very special week mm -hmm. by the sea. And yeah, and she, she would kind of devise a piece for you with you kind of thing. She's very much a composer who will like work with who you are and what your voice right. is. But she's essentially the composer, and that's kind of me being the right. contemporary classical singer. And, but that, was that your the first recording that was issued with you on it? I mean, just the, the day, ju just the other day, I was like, oh. I don't know why, but I was looking through some old recordings and started playing my husband something, and he'd like never heard it. And he was like, "Oh, this is great. Why did you never release this?" I'm I'm like the queen of unreleased kind of. EPs and bootleg EPs like by the time when I signed to Nonsuch I remember Bob Howitz took me out for dinner and he was just like what I want to know and he was really intimidating and I was like 32 or 33 or something when they signed me and he was just like what I want to know is why you haven't put out seven records already and I just remember thinking like I've kind of got seven EPs I just like never really I just used to print them physically and hand them out. Like even when I went to South by Southwest in 2010 or 11, I had, I, you know, I made a really nice EP, but I just, that's what I mean of like, I feel like I came to it okay. late. So, so yeah, officially. Collectors items, people, collectors items. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I mean, really bootleg. <laughs> your first, I mean, out there album, right, is, uh, which one is it? The long, the the longest river. Is that the first? Yeah, one? that that was the first kind of my proper date official debut long form album with none such. And yeah, yeah. And, and that felt that that was it was special because for lots of reasons, but it did genuinely feel like a first album in the sense that it the label allowed me to, and I kind of allowed myself to like put a culmination of a lot of ideas that I had been working on for a long a long time you know it felt like a genuine representation of like probably a, a decade of thought before that if you know yeah. what I mean I mean that sounds a bit grandiose but it, I don't mean it like that I just mean 
it's in keeping with what I'm saying of like, I was just this jobbing musician doing such a bonkers mix of stuff. And by the time I came to have the opportunity to make a quite a big, well-funded first record, it was like, ah, what do you put on it? And I just mm-hmm. felt they let me be true to like right, that right. past. Good. And then, so that was 2015. And then 2017 is when you did the Alpha Rex record, right? Yeah. But we yeah. started working on stuff in, in like 2016. No. Yeah. The whole thing I've been asking, because my, my my musician friends, you know, when you've been doing it forever, you know, I, and you you actually just articulated it. I mean, it's a very different thing to be doing your own project and then all of a sudden becoming a member of a band, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I had, I, although I had done endless collaborations and kind of almost got a bit like tired of, of, of collaborating and in some ways um uh I yeah I I'm not sure I'd kind of experienced like I hadn't been in like a band dynamic for for a while um mm-hmm. and yeah there was some funny like lead singer kind of just like and also cultural like the thing I was saying about the folk thing like not clashes but just kind of I don't know. I guess just two people used to like doing things their own way. And, right, yeah, right. Um, exactly. But it, I think that was I think that was the beauty of the project, really. And mm-hmm. um, I'm grateful to Colin for that because he he uh, he's hard ass and um, he is quite inflexible. Um, and probably so am I. But he he just he knows how to get shit done and he's like yeah it it was very like there's just That's no dilly, no no dilly dallying and that and that kind of process um yeah i think that process did like again in in the spirit in which i've been describing then made me like right got to make my second album and kind of go back to like what's my thing and mm-hmm. probably went a bit too purist again and but but felt like my second album yeah. was like a proper transition from the first album, but was in keeping with that, and yeah, so it kind of spurred me on, I guess. And that's and that's shelter, which is a yeah. beautiful record. And I just have to say this: when I was so I was watching all of your videos, and I watched the the video. For, I think it's for IOU, where you're what, the only I think it's the only video where I've seen you play an electric guitar. Yeah, it's my. And I it's saw a that. Yeah, Starfire. Yeah. It's a Guild Starfire. Right. I'm afraid, guys, I've got a you guitar nerds, I gotta let you down here and tell you the truth, which is oh, that God. that is not the guitar that I recorded that song on. But it's and in the video. What I recorded the song on is this one. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I I <laughs> think this guitar is maybe I don't know if it's cooler, but it's more um oh, that's cool. Wow. It's more unique. It's a nineteen sixty-seven original Mosrite Dobro. Oh nice. It's what Glenn Campbell plays, and there's there's yeah. only like I think there's only about a thousand of them in the world or something. Wow. It wasn't it didn't cost that much. It was like eight hundred dollars or something. But well, I can tell the sound really was is got a it, what's got a resonator on it. So which is a yeah. gives it that unique sound on the guitar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I had yeah. the reason I mentioned it because I had a Starfire, which I loved. It was a beautiful guitar, but I traded it. For a Stratocaster, because I wanted to, I didn't have enough money to buy another guitar, so I traded it, even trade for a Stratocaster, because I wanted something that sounded twangy, like Derek and the Dominoes. 
I'm and of course, the that was stolen from my house. Somebody broke in my somebody broke in my house, stole all my stuff. All my stuff. It was horrible. Uh, but <laughs> life's fun. But anyway, so after uh, so Shelter came out in 2018, right? Uh, but then uh, I think you were going stir crazy during during COVID. And you did this beautiful little EP of six French songs. And they're gorgeous. Oh, thank you. What inspired you to do that? Well, there's a little secret there, which is that they were recorded a little earlier. Oh. And being free of certain kind of industry things, I was like, right, I can put these recordings out now. And I'm, I'm going to do something them. totally not commercial, right? Yeah, exactly. And not what like my tiny, tiny audience is expecting. They're like thinking, where's her third album? And it's just like, actually, again, like, kind of, yeah, just for some reason, French music was just something that was slightly growing in my repertoire. And Thomas and I wanted to to pay tribute to that. He's got lots of connections to, to French music as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Yeah, it just felt like actually this is a really lovely collection that I can put put out. And my husband helped me come up with the title, which I love because I'm a massive Stravinsky fan and a kind of mm -hmm. a lot of those like early modernist composers. And I I love I love the kind of clean, pure simplicity of their title. You know how the mm -hmm. modernists were. So it's like six French songs. It's just like unfussy. It's like Le Sanctuaire, like mm -hmm. um and yeah, it just felt really, I mean, Six French Songs is a little bit like me just feeling like I'm a combination of like reclaiming my identity and like beginning again in a way yeah. because I haven't, no thanks well, to COVID, I haven't put stuff out for a long time, but thanks to becoming a mother, um, uh, I, I've kind of been busy as well, so. Now, um, which brings us to your new record, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Circus of Desire, which and I've, I think I've listened to it four times since you sent me the link. Wow, I've only sent um, it a few days ago. With, <laughs> the lyrics, with the lyrics, right? With the lyrics, you know, watching, reading the lyrics as you're singing. And to me, I mean, I, I wrote even a note to myself that, that, it, that this record is tender as life and fragile as a bluebird's egg. And, uh, because I mean, it's I mean, and I'll, I'll ask you about your your process in a minute. But what I, what really struck me with this record is the kind of uh, contending with darkness, you know. But also, there's light, like the song you wrote about your daughter Calliope, which is just a beautiful jewel of the song. But the whole album, and I kept going through it, and I'm like, you know, I'm like this is my favorite one. Nope. I think this is my favorite one now. And I have a different favorite one every time I listen to it, but they're all, ex they're extraordinary. Um, but I, now here, no, and I couldn't help but think that, you know, because I've seen it in my own life and seen it with my children and seen it with my students, that what we went through during COVID it's pretty, I mean, 
we, I think a lot of us aren't willing to admit how horrible it was <laughs> yet, you know, and I don't know if this is, this is shows up in your songwriting through this period. Um, I, I, and I know this also coincided with the birth of your children, right? But there was and, also that departure from London, which I think shows up a lot. Like I would single out, not necessarily on Circle of Desire, but in all your music, I mean, your voice, you're in your register when you're singing of wistfulness. And when you said the wreckage, you know, the wreckage when you came from London. And I'm thinking the one lyrics I wrote down for myself uh, from Arches, but I'm not as good with Michael and like when this was, you know, too much to say, words they fail us, both remain till the rude hands of time summon you away. That's a theme, you know, maybe broken friendships even or something, you know, mm -hmm. but you're obviously a strong feeling soul, but like a sense of loss is there you know, it, with your daughter coming. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah i mean covid so i'm trying to like answer all your different yeah, things yeah. Mm -hmm. covid i feel like it would need to be another interview and another conversation maybe on the dark web or something because like my thoughts about all of what happened to us as civilians i'm sure are, you're in familiar company here Olivia. Uh, i'm not yeah, very yeah, yeah. um yeah not very conformist or conventional and no, I, nor are we nor are i we. feel a lot of anger about yeah. it um yeah. so and I, to to such a degree actually that and i i feel this a lot in my life as i've kind of come into my early 40s now i'm going to be 42 in march when my record comes out a week after my after, after circus of desire comes out and i i just feel like i get so frustrated and so kind of potentially angry with like what is done to us or like yeah. mm -hmm. i just I kind of have to just say to myself, and I feel this in a way as a as a woman and an artist, if I can call myself that, that I just have to like tend to what I feel I have to offer and what I'm best at. I don't Good for you. I, I come from a very, very fiery, very intellectual, political, mm -hmm. non-conformist kind of culture and family. And I've spent a lot of my life like getting into heated debates and I probably still do. And I drive my friends crazy. And, but I think it was, it was so extreme and extraordinary um, and kind of unexpected what happened mm -hmm. to, to. I'm still angry about it too. Yeah. Um, that I just like, I, I kind of have to like div divert my breath. I, I kind of can't deal with it. Like I, I'm, I've turned into one of those people who slightly, uh i find myself switching the news off sometimes i've kind of become become oh, you have to. yeah i just like i just feel like my life is on this earth is 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 quite short um i've got the most important thing to me now is tending to my children and um and then i think I, artists who have a great sense of memory because that's what i see in your music too which describes for me a little bit of your personality, Olivia, in the way that you, because you could remember times, you know, it sounds like you're gifted in your music of placing yourself at a time, you know, in the past. And that's probably, you know, that's a powerful tool. It's a powerful tool. And I think the erasure right. of memory is part of this whole thing. We're supposed to forget. But I think bodily, you know how to remember. You remember. So it comes out in your anger during that time. Because that's those a, of us who can be so easily severed from memories, we're easily manipulable, right? And I think that's, you've got a, it's a, it's a beautiful part of your music that uh, well, I think comes from memory and pain. 
Yeah. Well, it's it's nice of you to frame it so positively. I mean, I spend yeah. a lot of my life wrestling with those kind of demons and feeling yeah. like I spend too much of my time wrestling with with you know living in the past and being angry about whatever it is. And but it, mm -hmm. it's that's a really helpful thought to kind of think actually it can be a positive tool, and it certainly it certainly is something that I have thought about a lot because um, on the flip side you're you're wrestling with other people's denial um and right, kind of right. capacity to be glib or to like bury things and that that's mm -hmm. why the title of my first record is called the longest river because it's about the mm -hmm. bad joke swimming in the longest river the nile so it's like mm -hmm. my whole first album is kind of meant to be about i read that one with yeah, one's own denial yeah, wrestling yeah, yeah. with one's own capacity to repress or bury or like mm -hmm. you know um and actually those song lyrics of that the title track of my debut album what was so extraordinary about that for me is that it was a song about denial well half sketched and I had actually typed them on I think on my computer and then had like forgotten about it and then kind of and it was about an affair and a very tempestuous very kind of messed up period of my life and I was like, I kind of discovered them and I was like, wow, so you're writing about denial, but you've actually buried it and you've mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. it if you remember. Yeah. 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 Really, now, speaking of COVID, remember, Mike, when we interviewed uh, the Irish band I Draw Slow last yeah. year? And their last oh, you'd record. You'd like them. You'd like them. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Their, their, their last record was also was very much a departure for them because they actually did it in the middle of COVID and they talked as well about, you know, how that influenced the songwriting and so forth and the recording. And and I think in your new record, Olivia, there's, um, you always have these kinds of, I guess would say jazz inflected melodies for sure. Cause they're in, and you can see, I mean, I, I, no, I'm not, I'm not saying you're overly influenced, but I see the same thing in Joni Mitchell, where, you know, you can't really trace out where the melody's going, right? You yeah. Can kind of, but you can't see it, which is my author of, friend. Oh, I just want. I just maybe think my author friend Stephen Visenchy, this great uh, author in praise of older women, uh, Penguin Modern Classic, in his remarkable biography, and I was like really fortunate to have a correspondence with him. He Londoner after he had to flee. Um, Hungary and uh, but anyhow when he fled Hungary and he ended up in Toronto he lived with Joni Mitchell for several months. You have to look at his, his name is Stephen Visenchy, but uh, yeah, it's I just really, really ignorant. I'm so sorry. I don't I don't know his work. I'm gonna definitely no no no. It's just uh, he was uh, he's he's unique. He's one of my kind of acquired tastes. He's only written, but his uh, his modern erotic novel in praise of older women is just a work of genius. Right. Um, yeah, but anyhow, it's just because there is you know in your voice complimentary but there's yeah. in so far as you've been influenced by Joni Mitchell you've made it your own but it's um it's so spectacular oh, I mean the, the thing about Joni and talking about you know the word influence is such a funny word isn't it because it is, sometimes it you're like, like what does it mean now to, to, to say you're influenced by someone does that mean that you are trying to sound like them or that you you know yeah. I, I think yeah. for me I, I've definitely never tried to sound like her in fact there's probably other people that I've tried to sound like yeah, more like yeah. when I when I felt like I needed to go more deeply into you know British folk music after 
well, whatever, when I started teaching myself guitar after college and stuff like that, because I wanted to write songs, but I, in my purest way, I was like, all the songwriters that I love had a period where they were trad singers, i.e. Mm-hmm. Joni, kind of all, not quite Leonard Cohen, but you know, Dylan, Joni, Bert Yant, Shani Denny. I was mm-hmm. like, right, there's something in trad music that they are kind of, there's something in trad music that's like a, a magical raw thing that I need to like get back to. So that that was why I, I wanted to. And at that period, yeah, I, I I became a bit obsessive with June Tabor and Ambrix and people like that. And I think in that period, I think I do sound more June Taborish than like than Joni. Like in a way, I wish I sounded like Joni, but I never have even. It's never crossed my mind to try and sound like. Her. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think yeah. for me, like part of what's important for me, and it might not register with anyone except me, but that's kind of worth it in a selfish way is that for me circus of desire in this third record mm-hmm. is that I feel like I've, when I listen to it vocally, I notice that I've, I think I've still sloughed off a, a bit of that. I feel like I've, and what's amazing with working with someone like Thomas Bartlett and talking of the unconscious or denial or repression or whatever is that he, it's like making a record with a psychoanalyst. Like he, he just forces your unconscious to flow. He forces mm-hmm. you to, to not, um, and he knows that I'm a very kind of analytical, you know, person in, in the studio and about my music. And he just uses like, he uses tricks to, 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 to just, to just get things flowing. And so both in the writing and in the way I use my voice, I, I kind of feel like I'm finally, a bit free of some of those not not ghosts or I don't I don't mind but I just when I listen which I don't but if I like the other day when I did stumble across an old EP and I I was quite struck by how to me it sounds a little bit uptight it does sound very English and folky and kind of beautiful and pure and I can see why people started talking about what I was doing back then and being like oh there's this new English folk singer and she's kind of doing a new thing with it but she's the next June Tabor or whatever people said but but actually I just don't I don't think I'd quite landed with my like a free true expression of myself do you know what I mean yeah Like I always tell young writers or musicians, you know, this quote from Salvador Dali, when he says, I became myself by imitating Masonier. Right? Because that's kind of what happened with me. I mean, you become as a songwriter, musician or poet, whatever. The thing I I really noticed, and it really jumped out at me because somebody brought it to my attention about myself years ago, and I didn't realize I was doing it. But so I've noticed your face changes when you're singing yeah i pull crazy faces yeah. oh no it wasn't crazy faces but you yeah i, 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 crazy I didn't faces. realize that i was actually I had, when i was a waldorf teacher i was i had oh, to get to the classroom and the kids went out for recess and i i pulled out my guitar and i was just improvising at my desk and my i didn't realize but my friend was watching me from the doorway and I stopped and I looked up and she said, Michael, you don't look like the same person when you're playing the guitar. And I noticed that with you in, in some of the videos I've seen you that your countenance changes. 
Um, has anybody ever brought that to your attention before? Yeah, in good and bad ways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and me, myself, you know, when I've like looked at videos, sometimes I'm like slightly horrified or people take photos at gigs. Oh, I or... hope you're not. I hope you're not. Um, I've watched well, a lot of the I videos, think, yeah. I think I've kind of gone through... Yeah, I, I, it depends what mood I'm in, but I go through different feelings about it. I think sometimes I'm just like, you just do whatever it takes to like get into that. But so, you're in a different world. Like you're, yeah, you're, you're, trying you're transported. Well, yeah, I had a lovely message from a musician I know the other day kind of talking about how she, you know, maybe ambitiously wants a performance to be was like some kind of like communion and a kind of like not ceremony but you know it's just like yeah I guess like my songs and playing music and it's if I'm really really lucky and I work really really hard and I actually think sometimes I also don't work to don't over labor it and you let let you mm -hmm. know let something else flow yeah absolutely you yeah, it's it's about transcending. It's 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 meant to be a transcendental yeah. experience. But I mean, that's that does sound terribly grand. But that is right. what I'm in for. That's what I'm trying to do. Does that um, affect the type of venues you most prefer to play in? That's another like that's a kind of sticking point for me. Really, that's something that I feel has always been a little bit of a like glitch in my career because. I love playing dive bars and clubs and I love playing standing only venues much though people would like find that a surprise. I love it. I love having to like fight for an audience, mm -hmm. but I also need to get paid. Those yeah, <laughs> right, right. Venues don't pay. Rock and roll yeah. venues don't pay you. They don't have pianos and I love playing real pianos. Mm -hmm. I play, you know, I've got a classical background. So it's like, I get put in art centers I book myself into art centers because I get paid better. But then you like get some kind of audience and you don't like get that grit and you and you often don't have that. Um, yeah, you don't often have that kind of friction and like exciting, like, yeah, just a kind of like mm -hmm. almost like a tension sometimes the way you have to like win people over or like challenge mm -hmm. them. I, I, I quite like challenging audiences it's probably always been a problem for me in my career as well but I I like I like that about you yeah mm -hmm. I, I just I don't I don't want I, I I've actually never really thought about it quite like that but I don't really want the listening experience to be complacent or mm -hmm. necessarily even always that com comfortable and that's just like sometimes people are like oh it's like so soothing and beautiful your music and I fall asleep to it or you know I'm kind of, that's great that that's lovely that it ha I think it maybe has that quality as well but like I feel like if you actually listen to the words or you're actually sitting in a show and you're kind of getting what I'm channeling it's like probably not always so comfortable or lulling you into mm -hmm. you know yeah do you see yourself with this uh this new album touring you know you have young children did you, yeah, do you eventually you're going to be over in the states doing some venues and so forth even maybe I not mean, the America states, so. with, without without you know the clout of warner brothers behind me anymore essentially yeah, right. I'm, I'm not so sure okay. i mean I, yeah. I would in terms of like your country and like what i felt like my relationship was 
with it I, I would love to return to the states and, and play and it was always kind of a great privilege and, and a really wild ride touring America and I did it a lot for, for years um, with varying degrees of, of success mm-hmm. or not um, uh, I mean in America I really have played the gamut of like a dive bar to one man and a dog and then like you know massive concert halls to like 3,000 people and it's just like I feel like yeah. I've had the whole full array in America that's great um and I would love to come back and I think American audiences are, are really lovely and really generous but yeah it's the visa thing is a big is a big issue mm-hmm. really it's like you can't you can't kind of and I've definitely played a few illegal shows in America. In fact, I got signed by playing a totally illegal kind of show. I just like got myself out there and borrowed other guitars. And I, I think I, I think I sent, I think I, um, like not FedEx, but I, like I got my harmonium sent over. So I, would, <laughs> you know, I just did whatever it took. But I, I couldn't really do that now with with a family. So. Yeah someone if any of your listeners want to like pay for me to get out there somehow then i will well, let's make that a thing yeah. and i know that I, my my husband and my kids i mean when we went to make my record in new york we had such a wonderful month it was so fun and we did it on where a did shoot you sleep trip. where did you lay down your head in an amazing place i found on um what is it called i can't remember what it's called not right least. in manhattan were you in queens were you no no we were in chelsea Chelsea, great. Yeah, just no, I'm trying to remember the name of the website of like where you find these incredible Airbnb. I know it's really not Airbnb. It's um, it's much more kind of, it's basically like anyone who it is like Airbnb, but it's less regulated, I guess. Yeah, right, right, yeah. And so, and I saw like a tiny very like bohemian looking book lined tiny apartment and I kind of thought that's going to be crazy with a one and a half year old but we can probably do it it's cheap blah, blah. and I wrote to this woman um and she said no that won't be right for you but I managed the estate of a late um Jewish artist and I actually look after his house and it's probably not appropriate for you, but let's have a like a Zoom meeting and meet each other and see see what your kid needs and what you guys need. And we ended up staying in the wow. base in the garden studio of this incredible house, just full of his paintings. And oh, nice. actually, more interesting to me that than his paintings were his kind of folk art, like found objects, like just this. Found, yeah. And right now, I can't remember his name because I've got mum brain. Hmm. Um, what, <laughs> it's okay. Hmm. Well, look it up. Mum brain is that the phrase? Okay, yeah, that's great. So I've never heard Tobita Shalom anyway. So we so we slept in that, and we literally had like a shower in a kind of like almost like a plastic bucket at the end. (laughs) We had like one hob, which we would make my daughter porridge on in the morning, and somehow I would think we had a kettle, so we can make coffee. But we kind of lived off pizza and we would like go to bed with like pizza crumbs in our bed. Yeah. <laughs> but I just and, and like and this crazy art everywhere and these like iron sculptures that were like nearly falling on us. And and also it turned out after a few days of being there or a week of being there, um there was a trap door and there was a whole cellar of like even more amazing wow. stuff. I've got to send you 
this is really driving me nuts. Can I, I actually feel like I just need to look it the up. The Jewish or, artist's name, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy that I don't, that I can't remember it. Sabita, she was, um, but yeah, the look, so I used to, well, I walked to the studio every day for like half an hour. Oh, how nice. And um, yeah, and my husband, I mean, I just owe him big time. Ben Zion. Ben okay. Zion. Yeah. And you can look up his house and you'll you'll see what I mean. Okay. Um, I mean, a lovely, lovely painter, um, but in a sense, his... And I come from a family of like collectors and curators and art historians and stuff as well. So it was just, it kind of yeah, felt- Yeah, I see him online. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Died house, in 1987. Yeah. I, he seemed, there was like, there was the remnants of his spirit as well felt felt nice. Um, and the house upstairs is beautiful. You can go and look around it. But yeah, it was incredibly cheap and um, nice. it was- very lucky and very special and very a cool. walking studio and my daughter just absolutely loves it and now, now she still talks about like you know little kids when they're like playing on a bike in the kitchen and they're playing with their little kitchen and she's like i'm just going to new york to get some milk mama <laughs> really part of her, it's part of her life it was such yeah. a significant month there um, anyway, why are we talking about that? Sorry. That's that's I good. No, so before we're gonna probably start wrapping up, but I have the one I had another question, a little uh, technical question. Now I know on the new record, uh what's the uh song? Oh, the one oh I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but it's it's the one uh, that you set your grandfather's poem to music. Oh uh, yeah. Zero, zero sum. Zero yeah. sum, right? Yeah, my grandpa. <laughs> which which is beautiful and uh so the and I, I, when i saw that i and my question was and i have experience going both ways myself but on this record uh did it did the lyrics come first before the music or how did you how do you usually work that out See, this is where you get back to my kind of my chaos because i just i don't have a set way of working still and i right. i don't think i ever will um every song I would say I haven't thought about it strictly but my instinct right now is that pretty much every song came in a different way on this record and kind of for shelter as well but the title Circus of Desire was some lyrics and that that I had that title like years ago and I've had it sketched and kind of parked and knew I wanted to use it and even actually like running up to the album I was like still googling like surely mm -hmm. someone used that phrase by now <laughs> that's great because i would yeah maybe yeah maybe yeah, yeah but they, they kind of that's had great. it um yeah. maybe just one book or something but like it's not it's not been a big title so i was kind of chuffed that that was still my my intellectual property <laughs> yeah so bits of those lyrics came many many years ago and then uh zero sum well my grandfather wrote he he kind of began writing these like very metaphysical poems, but actually, you know, f seemingly simple for children. Um, when my nephew, my sister's um, first kid was born, which is now 14 years ago, um, my grandfather was a mathematician. He was actually at Harvard for, for a little while and he's Australian, but um, yeah, he was, he was kind of self-proclaimed philosopher as well and a very extraordinary guy and actually um passed away 
last summer so kind of so i sent him i sent him the recording um he just about heard it but yeah and then since just this august almost to the day his wife of 50 years my step-grandmother armenian psychoanalyst died as well so Mm. it's you know what it's like when there's art like that means all the more the album is actually dedicated to their to their memory and they they were huge influences in in my life I'm going to study um, that one, as Michael says, become a student, because uh, desire it, might be my biggest theological theme that I explore in my kind of theological interest to, you know, right. desire. So, um, so, so Olivia Cheney, we cannot thank you enough for this interview. And uh, I feel like I met a kindred spirit, <laughs> you know, it's uh it's an honor and your music is beautiful. And I know you do have some gigs coming up in England, right? Yeah, yeah, I've, I'm kind of booking something, something of a tour, a kind of kid-friendly, like spread out tour. I'm calling it a tour, but it's actually like come home, get some rest, we'll play go back and play a <laughs> show. come home, <laughs> back and cook, come up and play. There a will game. be t-shirts. Yeah, and well, we hope. Well, Olivia, if you yeah. ever make it here, we would love to see you. And yeah, you know, just, God it. willing, I might make it there to come see you sometime. Awesome. But uh, thank you. I again, learned so much. so much. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, thank you, Olivia. It's been a real uh, honor. Thanks. Thanks very much. Great to yeah. meet you. And thanks yeah. everybody, yeah, for listening to the Regeneration Podcast. Uh, we'll be linking to uh, your. Do you have a website, Olivia, that you want to mention for people? Yeah, okay. it's Olivia we'll and is 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 um will be will be coming live soon. It's actually just okay. been re- rebuilt, but yeah. Okay. Will. Yeah, we'll make sure to link that to uh, in, uh, that. in the YouTube and the podcast. Great. Okay, well, thanks everybody for listening to the Regeneration Podcast. Thanks, Olivia, and we'll see everybody next week.